strapped in. You sound nice. great. Yeah, no, no nightlight on that voice. <laughs> Sounding as blue as ever. <laughs> you know, I didn't even think about that. The irony, the irony of the blue mage having to get a reddish tint, rose-colored glasses. <laughs> you know, it's my first pair. I wanted to try them. <laughs> and this is all they had at the Best Buy. <laughs> and I didn't want to be, like, the last time I bought them on Amazon, they showed up, scratched up, and they were pieces of junk. I yeah. wanted one I could hold and, like, poke around with. And now, maybe I'll go to some custom special frame store, not the kind that does posters, and I'll work on it, okay? But, like, <laughs> I, dude, I was working on a sponsorship deal for some sweet frames for blue lights. Oh, and you know what? Yeah. It fell apart. It fell apart. Oh, really? Because they, they were trash. Oh. They were trash from China, they, man. They, like, literally fell apart. Oh, dude, they, yeah, the deal and the, the glasses. We had a price, <laughs> we had all this stuff worked out, we had a campaign, and they sent me the sample, and I'm like, what is this? This is what you sell people? That's interesting, actually. In my IRL job, I just recently came upon someone who does, like, an affiliate deal, and they have, like, super nice blue light filter lenses. Maybe I'll try to connect you two. Thank you. Yeah. Covert yeah. should go blue tint at least. <laughs> You know, go, it, go, it back, is, go blue it, tint. Yeah, I, I'm struggling. I love it, but you gotta. I love have it. these in the meantime. You'll you'll get that, buddy. I have no no doubt. All right. <clears throat> With that out that of the way, that should just be the that should just be the opening. We're already in the show. They know who we are. You know who we are, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cool. Hey, man, if you're if you're cool with rolling with that, let's roll with that. Today, we are talking about the Crimson Vow spoilers. They had a spoiler stream. I saw a little bit of Becca Scott looking dashing with her vampire teeth. Didn't actually watch the stream. Do you have any reports, Kovac Go Blue, from that stream? Jessica from True Blood uh, has still got it. Looks okay. completely, I, I believe she is a vampire. She's completely unaged from, believe it or not, the seven years ago that True Blood went off the air. When you're living on a diet of pure fresh blood, you know, <laughs> it tends to be good for the wrinkles. Becca, I told you, I'm not a vampire. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you watch the preview video, you know what I'm, you know why that's a joke. But I, I, I love these preview videos. Like the last couple, the sets have been good. The people they put on camera like are capable of putting together sentences in front of cameras. It's very nice to see. Indeed. And it's a lot of different people, not like, here's Morrow, everybody get ready for this guy. It, but, you know, we don't really know who we're going to see, and they've all been doing a good job. So I like these videos. Awesome. You know, I would like to go back and watch it, but let's be real crafties, I'm not going to. So I appreciate the summary going on there. So we're basically just going to dive right in to talking about these Crimson Vow spoilers. You know, second kind of arm of this return, as it were, to Innistrad. And if there are any kind of like overview, preliminary, excitement-ish things that you'd like to say before we get into the actual cards? We need to touch on this later after we've kind of experienced it for real. But right now, I'm very, very, very happy we have another set this year. Right now, the fifth standard set and second after rotation before year end seems like a great idea because the standard format is... Uh, I'm not dead yet, but it's definitely holding me underwater and waiting for me to... You know, yeah. my lungs to fill with uh, suffocating fluid. Definitely more of a waterboarding experience than a stake to the heart experience. So, yeah, we'll see if there are any silver bullets going on here. Let's dive into it. First things first, 
probably one of the more exciting reveals for the entire set, they have given us immediately, immediately, the completion of the cycle of leisure lands, slow lands, chill lands. Is that what you were calling them, CGB? So I can never remember leisure lands, even though it's... (laughs) It, the alliteration is good and it's a good name. Yeah. So when I whenever I like stumble and I can't remember what I'm supposed to call them and slow land sounds like something I don't want to do because it sounds too negative, I go with chill land. Chill land. They're, they're just chill lands, you know? They, they're not for aggro because they come no. tapped early. But if you just want your mana to work out so that your turns three, four, five are silky smooth, get you some chill lands, bro. Yeah, man. Just throw on those rose-colored shades, play a bongos. And have some fun with magic. The color pairs we have here are, they're basically the snarl. These are like the better versions of the snarls, right? So crafties, just do this right now with your digital cardboard. Just flip over to the part of your collection where your snarls live. Pull them out. (laughs) Rip them up into little pieces. I got some paper ones over here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, CGB's going to give you a good example. Throw them over your shoulder and pretend they were never printed. Yeah, dust them. Dust them and get some new rares. (laughs) Dust them. Oh, it burns. The only thing that hurts more than having the snarls in your collection is imagining dusting them. So, uh, So yeah, we have black, green, green, blue, red, white, red, blue, and black, white. Yeah, anyway, we basically learned exactly how great these leisure lands are. They're great for pretty much everything except like an aggro deck. Yeah, what do you think, CGB? What's what's cooking in your mind looking at this particular cycle? I'm curious if for colors is like on the menu three colors should be good across enemy pairs i'm really glad these exist i hate it when the cycle isn't completed in the same standard block yep hate it i hated that the triumphs never got like flushed out yeah it was a travesty i want to be able to play the color combinations that make the most sense i hate it when one when certain color combinations are just favored by the mana for the long term and the fact that these are the fall set means that for two years we're going to have all of these which means a lot of a lot of color combinations are playable for the next two years, which is really cool. So yeah, get in there and use your wild cards on the ones that are good. I am curious, is there any world where aggro decks, and I'm thinking like Boros Aggro that maybe runs a red one mana two one and a white one mana two one, do they still play Snarls? Uh, yeah, it's so hard, man. I mean, it's so tough, right? There are so many competing priorities. So for example, there's just still so much incentive to run monocolored because of Faceless Haven. So that's a thing. Then if you are running multiple colors, yeah, you're kind of in a pickle, right? I feel like even if you do, you're still probably only running two max. I kind of feel like if you're playing a multicolored aggro deck right now, you just have to kind of suck it up, I think is really <laughs> what it comes down to. It's kind of like playing Gruel in the previous standards where like the mana was never really that good and you just kind of you just kind of had to deal with it and hope that the power level of your deck was enough. But I don't know. What do you think? I think that mono green is showing that of like a direction that aggro is going to go in the future of standard. They've really turned away from one drops being both in abundance and necessary mono green has no one drops at all in its current configuration and it will still kill you pretty reliably and resiliently and i think that aggro would prefer one drops but i don't think they're letting their dual land design get constrained by the need for that and they're yeah. saying, you you just got to make it work. Yeah, so probably we're just going to exactly see more of these like bit chonkier aggro decks, you know? Like we're probably going to see these um, like Showdown of the Scalds Boros decks as opposed to super lean mean smash face Boros decks. Probably going to see, continue to see these like 
chariot dragon gruel decks as opposed to having these like really, really lean aggro decks. So yeah, probably, you know, mono white's going to be kind of our low drop aggro deck for the moment. And uh, yeah, if they're going to introduce any other ones, they're also probably going to be monocolored for the meantime. Looks like it. So I'm pretty stoked because A of all, Saltai is back on the table. I mean, Saltai was Saltai was kind of cooking along, right? But really, B of all, the pièce de résistance, the thing that I think is just going to make so many jank mages just quiver in their in their seats. CGB, Grixis back on the menu. What do we think? Grixis is an, a friendly. Uh, I'm going to make you look bad on the podcast. I feel bad about this. Grixis is friendly colors. We got all the lands for it we were going to get in the last cycle, right? No, because we have the blue and the red one as well. Oh, okay. So now, okay, now the friendly sets have like three sets of these? No, so each okay. each three color pair can have maximum two, right? Is that, or I guess three, they could have all three? I guess they can. Yeah, Shipwreck Marsh and Haunted Ridge were in Grixis. Now we're adding, okay, actually, this is even more than I thought. Now you're adding Storm Carved Coast. So you can have 12 chill lands in your three color That's deck. That's what I'm saying. So like color combinations like Saltai and Grixis were already doing kind of okay, right? But now they mm-hmm. are like cooking right? They are just cooking with hot, hot fire. Yeah. So Grixis, the friendly ones had two lands. Yeah. The enemies had one yeah. that they could use. Yeah. Like Sultai only had one. So now that's why like Sultai and Abzan are really getting juiced from this. Yep. I guess that's true. Well, I guess we'll see. We'll kind of see how it all shakes out as far as like which three color decks really end up being super powerful in the format. But yep, I think... Overall, these lands enable all kinds of fantastic stuff, and uh, I think it's uh, color-wise, standards shaping up to be looking pretty good. They're great. I love that they're in the fall set, so we have them for two years. That's, to me, the big hit. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move along and talk about our first, you know, non-land card here. I'm going to read Olivia Crimson Bride. Here comes the bride, here baby. Here comes the, the bride. You know, we could have the- slow rolled the bride, but here she is in your face. You're supposed to wait to see the bride. I'm kind of disappointed. Do you want to slow roll it then? No, no. no. <laughs> she does have haste. So there you go. Olivia Crimson Bride. Four black red legendary creature vampire noble at mythic three four flying haste. Whenever Olivia Crimson Bride attacks, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. It gains when you don't control a legendary vampire. Exile this creature. So what do you think, Kovaco Blue? Bride in the face? <laughs> bride in the face. Um <laughs> I, so this one's a tricky one, right? It's um six mana is a lot. Yeah. Three, four flying haste is not particularly exciting for six mana. So it comes with a creature. Sweet. You can reanimate something from your graveyard mm-hmm. and it comes right into play attacking. Sweet, sweet, sweet. It was amazing though how many cards we were trying to list that we would play with this card have like attack triggers. Mm. You know, Velamachus, Lorehold, Drana, like some of these cards that you want to give haste to, they have a trigger that goes off when they attack. And when Olivia puts those cards onto the battlefield already attacking, you don't get the trigger. So oh, that was a, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah so that that's was a bit of, of an ouch. So now we need things with like, we want huge bodies with good ETBs, with ETBs. right? Yeah, exactly. Those don't exist. They've like really trimmed those. Yeah. Agent of Treachery, they don't make them like that anymore. No, they don't. Well, is Huntmaster our best target for this currently? Huntmaster is not bad. 
it does create the wolves, but yeah, I, I, I guess that's kind of it. And you're playing two six drops across three colors, which is reasonable, but you also have to get the Huntmaster in the graveyard. My prediction, both for flavor reasons and necessity of making the card interesting, is that we're going to get a variety of four and five mana legendary vampires that pair very well with Olivia Crimson Bride. Like, it was revealed, not really a spoiler here, it was revealed that she is marrying Edgar Markov which there's all kinds of things about that, like him being like three generations older than her. <laughs> hey, you know, they're both immortal or whatever, right? I mean, I don't know how okay. long vampires live. They she's, still live a while. In a way, she's like, he is the bloodline that created all the vampires on Innistrad. She is marrying her own grandfather. Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> but I mean... I, I was starting to wonder, is it just me? <laughs> but I mean, what's not weird about being a vampire, right? It's a fundamentally kind of gross and sinister thing, so, you whoa, know. Whoa, 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 don't shame the bloodsuckers. <laughs> the bat fair, the bat changelings, come on. Fair now. enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that Edgar is going to be like a five-mana vampire with some really powerful stats, and probably an ETB that's interesting. Otherwise, pairing him with Olivia won't be interesting, and it should be. It absolutely should be. So I think that this card is meant to play with cards that have yet to come. One card that I suggested on Twitch that I thought of that where skipping the attack trigger is actually a good thing if you want to get him is Demigoth Titan. That is the oh. four hybrid Golgari 1110 demon that when it attacks or blocks, uh. sacrifice a creature. Oh, uh, you really got him, CGP. Oh, you yeah, love it. I do also want to say on this card, you really want to, if, if there are legendary vampires to get, we want legendary vampires, because then if you reanimate a legendary vampire and Olivia dies, you keep the other vampire. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really excellent point. Yeah. Here's the funny thing, right? What if you're running a reanimate a deck and you reanimate Olivia Crimson Bride? That's got to be pretty sweet, right? Because you basically get like... A free attack in with her, and then you get something else as well, right? Whatever chonky actual reanimator targets you had. Sure. So you're saying, like, turn two, we foretell Rise Upon the Tide. And then turn three, we cast a card like Prismari Command. We discard Olivia and something else. Yep. Turn four, we Rise Upon the Tide, get back Olivia, who attacks, gets back the something else. Just whatever else, right? They kill it, they sweep the board, they do what they do. So the next turn, because you have a treasure still, you play another Olivia from your hand and reanimate something else again. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's a lot of haste. You know? That's a lot of haste. You could you could even get like old Gnawbone in there and just really go off, right? <laughs> Good lord, if she married Gnawbone. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, that's a lot of treasure, my friend. <laughs> wait, wait, is old Na- old Nawbone, have we ever seen old Nawbone and Edgar Na- Markov in the same place? Maybe that's a nickname. Hey, hey I mean, not a worse nickname. I'm just saying, you know, vampires yeah. can change into all kinds of things, right? I think this card has potential, but it's got a lot of problems, right? Yeah, it- I agree. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, plus it just dies to like these four you know four damage burn spells that people are running anyway to get rid of you know uh gold span dragon so i feel like it it takes a lot of splash damage for that so yeah i don't know we shall see um so speaking of you know uh the mark of bloodline why don't you read this planeswalker for us oh uh are we skipping the voldaran estate are we looking at the same page yeah we could just read that one next 
Oh, I see. You're trying to. Uh, yeah, I got you. Okay, I'm going to read that. I'll read this Planeswalker. Yep. It's fine. Let's do it. It's fine. So this is cool. Soren the Mirthless. Two and a black, black legendary Planeswalker. Soren. He's mythic. It's got four loyalty for your four drop. And a plus one. Look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card and put it into your hand. If you do, lose life equal to its mana value. Minus two. Create a 2-3 black vampire creature token with flying and lifelink. A vampire nighthawk, you might say. Minus seven. Soren the Mirthless deals 13 damage to any target and you gain 13 life. It's quite a vampire planeswalker right there. It's a heck of a planeswalker. It's not busted. They've done a good job keeping the planeswalkers in check. But the plus one for card advantage and the minus two for create something to defend itself. It's a true tested Recipe. It is. And it's kind of good to see him going back to it a little. We've had a, some hard-to-evaluate Planeswalkers. We've had some straight-up misses. Mm-hmm. It's like Davriel Arch, like Duke of Nonsense or something like that. Like There have been a lot of mythic who-cares Planeswalkers lately. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at you, AFR. <laughs> uh, I mean, Lolf. Lolf is cool. Lolf is, is a gamer. But here's the cool thing. Soren is a mono-black planeswalker at four. Lolf is a mono-black planeswalker at yep. five. Arguably two of the best planeswalkers you can have yep. right now. Just and they curve? cranking out those tokens. I mean... Yeah, I'm I'm definitely seeing that yeah. for sure. I mean, this card is a grinder. It's not quite as much of a grinder as Lolf is, but I mean, it it's kind of taking care of the same stuff. It's making blockers. This one gains you some life, which could be valuable in the long game. I mean, those two, three black vampire tokens are no joke, right? That's a sweet token. Flying? Heck yeah. I think that this is a card, when I look about it, it's good when you're ahead, it's good when you're behind, and it looks like it could play an aggro mid-range or control. Yep. The biggest problem with this card right now is, and we're going to have to say it way too many times, Galvanic Iteration and All Runs Epiphany go way over the yep, top. Yeah, definitely not helping you there. If that's not in the format for some reason, then uh, suddenly this card is like an A-plus player. Right now it's a B-player. Yep, totally agree. But yeah, I mean, this is just going to jump straight into like your Blood on the Snow decks and could end up showing up in a bunch of Vampire decks if those end up being good too. So looking hot to me, I am pretty excited about this Planeswalker. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, he's there, there's like three different Soarin' Arts that can go with this, all of them looking hot. Oh, yeah. To everyone, just, just gazing through these rose petals and being all smoldering. It's a bit much. It's kind of making me scream <laughs> a little. I mean, they've tried to position Jace as kind of like the sexy planeswalker, but I feel like it was just Soren all no. along, right? <laughs> it always is <was> <laughs> Daddy's <Yeah>. home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's what we need. The, our next Innistrad set, that's going to be the tagline. Daddy's home. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, since you seemed into it, I'm going to let you read Valdaren Estate as well. Yeah, they printed a, a land, and I think they did a good job with mm. this one. So this is a rare land, and it taps for a colorless mana. Sweet, right? And then it, it also, you have, you have other options. You actually have three modes on this sucker. Tap, pay one life, add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a vampire spell. And five in a tap, create a blood token. This ability costs one less to activate for each vampire you control. A blood token is an artifact with one tap, discard a card, sacrifice this artifact, draw a card. 
Yeah, this card seems pretty sweet to me. Let's start with the blood tokens, because that's the tough to digest part. What do you think of the existence of blood tokens? Because this is the first of what will be many cards that that create this artifact. And if you're wondering how is blood an artifact, it comes in a little vial. Like, I don't know, they're like little shot glasses of blood. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, first of all, I think that these tokens are not as good as clue tokens, in my opinion, unless madness becomes a thing. That's Mm. really the big question on my mind is, are we going to get madness in this set? And if it's not in this set, is it going to, you know, coexist in standard with this set at any point, right? I guess if if they didn't print it now, it might not show up for the rest of the standard rotation. I don't know. So let me just get a hot take from you, CGB. Do you think that they could still introduce Madness in this set? We're going to get to some of the other mechanics that they introduced. They've created a new mechanic called Cleave that they introduced. Is there another one? I think that's it that they've introduced, but between Blood and Cleave, that could be the mechanics of the set. That could just be it. There is Disturb and Transformation cards returning. So there's a chance that there's no madness. Yeah, here. and I mean, if there was madness, this might be too good. So maybe that they've just decided it's cool. We'll make these blood tokens. They're still good, and they are still good, by the way. It needs to be good. Though. Yeah, that's the thing. Like when you're saying it might be too good, it really needs to be good mm-hmm. because it's kind of a core mechanic for the tribe that didn't get there in the last set. Yeah. Right? We need something to push them. This blood thing should do it. Blood should juice the vampires. If if it's not madness, it has to be like. Like reanimation, yeah. right? When's the last time they actually did reanimation? Like treated the graveyard reanimation like it was the priority instead of just another thing you could do? It's been a while. It could just be like more of these decks that key off of having a certain number of whatever in the graveyard, right? So maybe it's just enough to turn on your cards that care about how many vampires are in the graveyard. Or yeah, maybe like this kind of like this soft reanimation theme with cards like Olivia Crimson Bride being kind of the top end and you hope that that's enough. But I mean, I still think that these tokens are strong and history has taught us that with these sets that have, you know, these mechanics that just crap out a bunch of artifact tokens, they've all gotten there, right? Like they've all been standard playable. Yeah, they usually find a way. Uh, Food, clues are, of course, the ones that come to mind right now that are very good treasures. Yeah, Yeah. all of of these... All of these things on good rate end up making a big impact on the yeah, format. Yeah, exactly. So, and then the cost reduction, of course, is the, the highlight of Voldaren Estate, right? The fact that this ability gets cheaper when you have a bunch of vampires out. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, I do think you have to go pretty hard vampire on this. And part, more than anything, to be honest, is not necessarily for the cost reduction. It's just in order for this to actually be a functional land in your deck, it needs to be able to cast, you know, a majority of the cards in your your deck. You know, I mean, I think if that kind of vampire heavy deck exists, I mean, I think it's it's a sweet card in it for sure. This is also a good way to print a land that isn't like a dual land, but does help aggro and aggro is tribal themed like vampires are. So I hope that vampire aggro is good. Again, I I said it before about blood, but it kind of needs to be. Yep. Because you're not going to play vampiric mid range in this format. Like that's not going to work out. Nope. Hard agree. You're going to get eaten alive by Is It or Green Decks. All right, let's move on to what is almost certainly going to be one of the most important cards in Standard for the entire time it's going to be in Standard. Oh boy, this is a hard hitter. Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. Now, any of you who have been playing Historic, she'll already be very familiar with this card. But for the rest of us, let's read it 
again. One and a white legendary creature human soldier at rare. It is a 2-1 first strike. Non-creature spells cost one more to cast. And if that doesn't sound like a big deal, crafties, it's probably because you never played against this card. <laughs> this card slams the brakes on control decks pretty hard. My question, Covert Go Blue, is do you think that they were thinking that this could be enough to slow down the Galvanic Epiphany combo? They believe it. Like, this is one of the reprints that can make sense to battle that in a lot of ways, because adding any two-card spell combo, this is going to add another two mana to it as long as it's on the field. My question back to you, is that enough? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be just an awful lot of pain coming Thalia's way, right? Like, And it's kind of rough, you know, with cards like Prismari Command in the format. People can even kind of like pick off Thalia and still get some kind of value out of it. Granted, that spell is now going to cost far if you want to point it at Thalia. These Izzet decks do run plenty of extremely cheap interaction, and so tacking on one mana to it, I mean, yeah, it's going to change things. It's going to be annoying, but does it necessarily, you know, is that like a like a hard no on the Izzet decks? Absolutely not. I, I think alone it's probably not enough, but here's the thing, right? You start stacking this with all of the other taxation effects in the format, and, you know, so we have that curse, we have the white curse, we have Spellbinder, we have Thalia. I feel like there's another key card. Oh, Redain. Yep. As yep. well. So, I mean, you get enough of these in a deck and it's going to start adding up eventually, right? I think that's the plan because you can look at Thalia and talk about how it dies to Cinderclasm and Spikefield Hazard and you could write off that this will help you in any way. But here's the thing about Thalia. First of all, Mono White's already a tier one deck. Yep. We've learned this about Is It. We talked about it on our last show about formats. You're adding really good cards to things that are already tier one. Yeah. Like that's automatically a big deal. You talked about kind of the levels of taxation effect of you play Thalia on two, you play Elite Spellbinder on three, now the sweeper that did cost five, now cost eight. Basically, you got rid of it. So the opponent will have to find another way to resolve something that kills these things. And cards like Cinderclasm are narrow. You can't run just Cinderclasm. Mono Green will get you. So it opens you up to other vulnerabilities. But here's the other thing. The best Redains that I've run into aren't the Redain that they slam on turn three and now I can't cast spells. Oops. You know, most control decks can deal with this. Most control decks come prepared. And the next turn, like, they'll divide by zero your Redain on end step and then untap and cast their sweeper. The way that this kind of works is you want to basically always have another taxation effect in the bank. So that when the opponent does play a sweeper or their removal spells, on your next turn, the turn before they would combo, you're playing a couple of these taxation effects. So it's like, okay, I was going to combo. Now I have to kill these things again. And if they manage to do it, you untap and play another one or two taxation effects. And they're like, Ugh, I have to do this again. And eventually either they run out of the ways to kill them or they run out of time. That's where just having more of this isn't like just another option. It is a cumulative like buildup of these kind of threats that is going to probably drive is it crazy, quite honestly. Yeah, well, and think about this too. Let's say that you get Redain flooded and you slam one down as Valkmira. So that taxes as well, right? So now any removal spell that you point at Thalia is going to cost two extra, right? And so it's like that kind of thing, you know? It's just like, again, these taxes, once they start stacking, they get so much more painful. I don't know, man. I think mono white's going to be pretty hard locking out 
a lot of decks as long as the curve comes together and some other aspects of the format line up. But I mean, I'm I'm staking my claim on it now. I think Thalia Guardian of Thraben is going to be like an absolute foundational card in this format. Oh yeah. And and White has enough good cards in the curve to play just creatures if they want to. Yep. So that they're just never hit by this tax. Yep, absolutely. Final thing to note, that first strike does matter. So <laughs> keep an eye out for that. She rumbles. She looking broody, by the way, in this. Oh, game. yeah. Oh, yeah. She went all goth. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's pissed. Innistrad ain't getting any nicer, you know? True. She she got to be tough out there. So I'm seeing that we have Kaya Geist Hunter here, but do we just not have the text on this card or what? The art was revealed on the video. Okay. But we know that there will be, for the Planeswalkers, we are going to get Kaya Geist Hunter, and we are going to get Ooh, Chandra, Chandra Dressed to dressed Kill. Dressed to Kill. All right, this is like the next Bond film, I guess. It really is. <laughs> um, actually, that's a... They sh- yeah, that that's perfect. <laughs> but they did not reveal what the cards do, just the art. Okay, all right. So so we have that to look forward to. I want to say that I like that, because now I know which Planeswalkers to expect, because there's usually a lot of like speculation over what mm. Planeswalker goes where. Mm-hmm. And we kind of knew it already from the lore, if you followed the lore, who was going to be in it, because these two have been in the lore the whole time. I just like that they just got it out of the way. Yeah, no, for sure. I also just especially, I like the Geist Hunter because Kaya really is like the ghost assassin, right? So that's just extremely flavorful that Kaya would show up in Innistrad. Also brought a crossbow to kill vampires. Pretty nice. Heck yeah. I mean, Kaya not getting any less badass anytime soon. Why don't you take us into Valdaran Bloodcaster? Valdaran Bloodcaster is one in a black, so two mana for a 2-1 flying vampire wizard. And whenever this or another non-token creature you control dies, create a blood token. Those are the, again, one mana, sack, discard, a card, draw a card. Whenever you create a blood token, if you control five or more blood tokens, transform Valdaran Bloodcaster. Now we get the backside. That's a blood bat summoner. This is a 3-3. And it's still a vampire wizard. It has flying. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, up to one target blood token you control becomes a 2-2 black bat creature with flying and haste in addition to its other types. And there's a lot going on for a two drop, that's for sure. Holy cow, yeah. Yeah. You you almost forget it was an opportunity cost as low as a two drop. Yep. Exactly. So in in any kind of like a sacky deck, this card probably gets out of hand pretty quickly. One of the things that's kind of bumming me out about the blood tokens is that I feel like they don't necessarily stack that well, right? Like if you look across the table and you see someone sitting on a buttload of blood tokens, I feel like it doesn't quite have the same ability to impact the game the way some of the other ones do. I mean, if you have the mana to use them, you can chain them and just go through like three or four cards to try to find the hit i guess it's true yeah you can definitely get some amount of churn going on for sure and maybe if there's any like card that keys off of discard right like every time you discard a card or every time you draw a card oh oh, let me try to sell you you. let me try to sell you okay okay you're at two life your opponent has five blood tokens on the battlefield and six mana and they're trying to hit play with fire. And they're just, draw, discard, draw. Dis- yeah, zing, yeah. Zing, Does that zing, sound fun? Zing. Does that sound like a fun hunt for the top deck? <laughs> I mean, regardless, like, this card seems, just like on the face of it, seems very playable, seems very strong. 
you know, I feel like if this card doesn't see play, it's just because like the deck that it wants to go into doesn't really exist. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like any deck which is consistently sacking creatures or even just turning a lot of creatures sideways, you're going to get a lot of value out of this thing, right? Five blood is a lot. It's a lot. lot. Or it seems like a lot. Maybe we're going to get one mana, you know, one, one, make a blood. I don't know. I don't know how prevalent blood is going to be once the set is fully revealed. Right now, five blood seems like a ton, because if we're only getting it by having our creatures die, having five of your creatures die is a lot of work. These aren't legendary. They do stack. You can have two of these out and get an insane amount of blood pretty fast. So that's one thing. The ceiling is like the floor is really not that low. It's it's one in a black for a two one flyer that probably needs to be respected. It does die to to um, Spikefield Hazard and Cinderclasm, but a lot of things do. And it's yeah. probably, the upside is definitely there. Like when you flip this thing, it's a 3-3 that attacks with a 2-2. It's like five damage in the air. Yeah, yeah. And I want to note that the blood token that turns into a bat stays a bat, right? So every combat, you're getting another bat, which is going to stick around. Mm, true. And that's pretty sweet. True. So, I mean, you know, that is kind of Christmas land. Like, the game's probably already kind of over if you manage to pull that off. But still, I mean, just like basically having a two mana win con creature in your deck, like, you can do a lot worse than that, I think. Yeah. I, I think if the vampire thing works, this will work. I'd also just try it in a blood money type thing. You're sacrificing your shambling ghast and you're getting a little extra value. Like, why wouldn't we try it? Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I mean, just like blood tokens are definitely going to be flood protection in the mid to late game. So overall, this card seems like a winner to me. All right. I'm going to read dig up because I want you to read the other card here. Give you the honor of that. So let's do this. Dig up one green mana sorcery at rare. I'm going to read the bottom part of it first, and then we'll talk about the top part of it. So if you cast it for one green mana, it has this text on it. Search a library for a basic land card. Reveal it. Put it into your hand, then shuffle. But wait, there's more. It has this line of text which says cleave, uh, and then it has a cost. So cleave, one generic, two black, and one green. You may cast this spell for its cleave cost. If you do, remove the words in square brackets. So if you cast this for its cleave cost, it instead reads, search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So, what do you think, CGB? A land fetch for one green mana, or a tutor for four CMC, or MV, I guess we're calling it these days? You get kind of that early game, you need to get your land right, this helps you do it, or late game, you go get whatever the heck you need at a pretty high cost, but still, Mm -hmm. you go get whatever the heck you want. This Mm -hmm. card is pretty cool. It gives you that kind of dual card effect that so many cards are trying to have lately, where they can be useful early and useful late, and that's really Mm -hmm. important. I don't know if it will see play, but it's definitely not a terrible card, and it's definitely an option. There's a lot of ways to build around it, like decks that want a lot of spells in them, like Delver. Decks that mm. want a lot of cards in their graveyard, like, I don't know, Demi-Lich. <laughs> there's, there's various yeah. ways to make this thing good. Smoldering Egg is something that just, rather than another land in your deck, have something that goes and fetches another land in your deck. Or has an alternate cost yep. that takes way more counters off the egg. So I don't know that all those things come together, but historically, there's a lot of precedent for a card like this having decks that it fits into. And I'm curious to see where that is. I think on balance, it's worse than the card it reminds me of, which is Traverse the Olvenwald. Yes. 
So Traverse the Olvenwald was similar, but the difference was instead of paying four for it, you had to have Delirium to cast it for its tutor effect. So being able to get the tutor for one mana was pretty strong. But I don't think this caused too... F- it's not too far behind it, and you don't need to worry about Delirium. You know, it kind of takes down some of your deck building restrictions there, I would say. Overall, I think this card's pretty sweet. I do expect it to show up. I think it might end up being, I think this card could end up being a staple in the format, but I definitely don't think that's a guarantee. Final note, personally, I feel like this card is more likely to show up in kind of a combo deck than it is to show up in just like your average kind of mid-range pile or your average ramp deck because i think if you're ramping you usually want different land fetching cards that are actually like putting lands onto the battlefield as opposed to doing this kind of stuff where i do see this card you know maybe showing up is like let's say there's like a harness infinity deck or let's say i mean we're not going to have another saltai ultimatum but if you had like some kind of just game ending combo like that i could maybe see you running like a couple of dig ups in your deck so anyway that's that's my thought um do you have any final thoughts on that cgb yeah i i think cleave is a pretty clever way to fit multiple modes onto a card without making a split card or, you know, a double face card. So I think it's interesting. But when I heard there was a mechanic called Cleave, I was just like covering my eyes, waiting for it to <laughs> just waiting for a generic mechanic get that gives target attacking creature double strike, trample, double and plus strike one plus one. And trample. <laughs> just turns every card into an Ember Cleave. It is a bit too soon, I would say. It's it's too soon to introduce Cleave back into the world of Standard, so I agree with you there. All right, well, uh, take us into a card which I'm sure you're going to play the hell out of here, Overcharged Amalgam. Overcharged Amalgam is two and a blue-blue, four total mana value. Three-three, Zombie Horror, Flash, Flying, Exploit. Haven't heard this one in a while, but another kind of, I don't know if Madness is coming back because they revealed that Exploit and Cleave are in this set. So Exploit says, when this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. Worth noting, Exploit can exploit itself. Uh, This is something that's pretty easy to forget when you're reading the cards. All right. When Overcharge Amalgam exploits a creature, counter target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. Be still my beating heart. Counter target spell activated ability or triggered ability. On a 3 3 flash flyer for four, it just requires some other token, some pest, some decaying zombie, some shambling gas to sacrifice. Uh, Yeah, this card's brutal. Seems good. I fully expect to get wrecked hard by this card. So here's a question that I have for you, CGB. Do you think that this could be part of the puzzle in dealing with the Alrin's Galvanic combo? Do you think that with decks already out there featuring Fading Hope and Divide by Zero, that having a recastable body (laughs) counterspell can be good? Yes! I think it might might be good. Uh, Yes. Holy cow. I just want to like... Yeah, I Twitch, Hunt for Specimens, the blood money stuff, obviously, as just kind of a way to sacrifice this. But I'm sure there will be other things, you know. There's so many, like, just little little tidbits being left around by various spells these days. Absolutely. It's hard for me to imagine this not being a player in the format, and it could end up being, like, just an out-and-out staple. It looks like they're pushing a Spirits deck in this set, which we'll, we'll probably read some of those cards later. 
but it's possible that we could see a return to like a, a tempo deck in the format. That is something that is sorely needed. That is the kind of yep. thing that could combat the current epiphany problem that we have, but we just yep. don't have that option. Worth noting, you can play Overcharge Amalgam and not get taxed by Thalia. Ooh, that's a good point. Like, you can have those two cards in the same deck. Yeah, especially given the fact that we already have an Azorius Tempo deck, right? So Sort of. Yeah. That deck, unfortunately, took a beating at Worlds, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it's true. It's true. But, you know, cards like this definitely would fit well into it. So the ability for this to be both an answer and a threat, like, you know, we learned pretty decisively from Brazen Borrower that three power flyers end the game surprisingly quickly. You know, you'll have these games where, like, your opponent will resolve one of these against you, and then they'll, like, resolve another one against you to counter your next spell that matters, and the game is just basically over at that point and then they fading hope it and play it again and divide it by zero and play it again (laughs) final thing i want to note is that exploit plays extremely well with decayed zombie tokens so you know if we end up having any kind of a puppet stitcher deck in the format a card like overcharged amalgam could be really an overperformer in a deck like that yeah agreed Awesome. Yeah. Stoked about this card. I am going to put it in like top 10, maybe even top five in the set. Oh, I hope so. Next, Savior of Allen Bark. One white, white creature, human soldier at Mythic. This is a one, two with a lot of text on it. Training. This is another mechanic that we're getting. Whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. So it's like the opposite of Mentor. Instead of this putting counters on weaker creatures, this gets buffed by stronger creatures. Let me just stop you right there, CGB. Which mechanic do you think is stronger, training or mentor? I think both mechanics have, they're kind of a wash because, you know, a counter goes here, a counter goes there. Typically, there, there are situations where you want on the bigger thing. There are situations where you want on the smaller. I think it really depends on the rest of the text, to be honest. One of the reasons I like training over mentor is that it incentivizes you to play other good cards, right? If your training card has good text on it, and then you just play it with like other well-statted creatures, pound for pound, you're going to get paid off, right? One of the things about Mentor is that Mentor makes crappy creatures better. So Mentor makes like your dorky one ones better or like your low-powered flyers better or something like that. And so one of the things I like about training is that it, it's kind of like your synergistic card gets buffed by just playing other good, strong creatures. So whether that ends up mattering or not, I don't know. Anyway, whenever Savior of Olenbeck trains, exile up to one other target creature from the battlefield or a creature card from a grave and when savior of Olenbeck leaves the battlefield put the exiled cards onto the battlefield under their owner's control so this is a pretty spicy little kind of uh palace jailer variant or whatever what are, what are we calling these cards what, what's the card these are templated after i remember fiend hunter fiend hunter okay yep that's the one most people would remember banishing priest it's probably okay. around when most people started I don't think we need to go deep on this card. This card obviously could have some cool scenarios, but it's kind of embarrassing next to just like a brutal Cathar, right? It has some cool like extra stuff it can do. The exile a card from a graveyard text is because you can exile things from your own graveyard. And then when the savior dies, you get those things. Oh, okay. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a lot of hoops to jump through. You need something with a greater power to be attacking. This needs to be attacking. They need to not be running into a wall where they just chump attack and die, which is kind of 
and um, it seems like a lot of cool stuff. I think it's mythic for limited purposes because Mm, this thing is a beast in limited, right? It could be, but honestly, at the same time, like you still have the my opponent has just any kind of stated blocker problem, right? Mm. I mean, I guess you exile the first one. Yeah, they have to have two stated blocker. Yeah, but I mean, in limited, you know, you prioritize like, you know, just decent creatures, right? So you usually have a battlefield littered. So yeah, it's just, it it is. It's hard to envision exactly where this goes. I guess it gets better in limited because you're more likely to play combat tricks. But overall, I... In standard, you're just gonna, you've got such good cards for three mana in white. It's... yeah. It's insane to think of this making the cut against Skymall, Redane, Adeline, Elite, Spellbinder, uh, Skyclave Apparition, mm. and the one I'm forgetting, which is the new Banishing Priest, but now you got that stuck in my head. Yeah, Brutal Cathar, that's right? The, so, that's the one, yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I imagine this card is going to see no play in standard. That's my I, prediction. I want the last word on it, though. Have they never heard a tambourine before? Because this is a mythic, and everybody is freaking losing their mind, and the dude's just out there swinging tambourines. Like, <laughs> they just don't have these on Innistrad? Just got them. Dude, they've never heard that sweet music before, CG. There you go. Yeah, it's myth. It's hard to find. <laughs> All right, scrolling up through an incredible amount of alternate art. Okay, I gotta, I, I have to. We don't usually read the commander cards, and for good reason. This is not the commander podcast. This is the arena craft podcast. They made a commander card called Wedding Ring. You, you want to read Wedding Ring? All I right, go I, into I, it. I, 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 this is <laughs> this is so okay. Wedding Ring. It, this is only legal in commander, kids. Just so you know. But uh, I'm gonna read you this card. Two white-white artifact, mythic. When Wedding Ring enters the battlefield, if it was cast, target opponent creates a token that's a copy of it. Whenever an opponent who controls an artifact named Wedding Ring draws a card during their turn, you draw a card. Whenever an opponent who controls an artifact named Wedding Ring gains life, you gain that much life. So, a few things about this. First of all, the amount of, like, hilarity that's going to ensue at your commander games with proposals and getting down on one knee and just funny jokes about who you're going to marry and who will uh i i don't know man like that alone it makes for kind of funny experiences the the silliness Mm -hmm. of this card when some nerds Mm -hmm. play some you know dungeons and dragons themed fantasy nonsense like it's gonna be great that's gonna be funny but i think that there's a dark side to this card So you out there listening to this podcast, please do not use this to propose to your girlfriend. Oh, God. Please do not not sit her down, trap her in a game of magic, and like cast wedding ring on her and then pull out an actual ring and get serious. Unless you literally have a girlfriend who loves, and I mean loves, playing magic. And you have to look in that mirror long and hard and you have to ask yourself, do I have a girlfriend who loves playing magic or do I have a girlfriend who likes playing magic and loves seeing me happy and like kind of indulges you in the amount of nonsense that you are addicted to this game? If the answer is the latter, do not use this card to propose to your girlfriend, please. Oh my God. I'm going to hear like, the, the, oh, it's going to, it's going to ruin like you got to do better. You got you to gotta be more romantic. She ain't going to find it that cute. So this is what you do, all right? Okay. You have just a regular ass normal proposal doing whatever special thing you are going to do with a nice ring that's going to make your partner very, very happy, right? Then 
you take a picture of you guys at some later point holding up this magic card in front of you and you post it on your magic Twitter and everyone's happy. All right. <laughs> That's how this is going to work. That's how this is going to work. Uh, I totally agree with you, CGB. I think using this in an actual proposal is reserved for like, you know, uh, Watsy employees. Like if you have two magic, like lifetime magic content creators who happen to be dating and then want to get married. Okay. Now Did we're you actually meet in a tournament. Maybe like a high stakes one, <laughs> yeah. like in the top 16, like, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, does your partner spend six days a week streaming magic? OK, if so. Yeah. Go maybe ahead. maybe an MTG cosplayer would enjoy this. Also, yeah. guys, if you're going to do it, spring for the foil. <laughs> Don't, do not go in there without a foil. I will be I will yeah. judge you. And so will she. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and remember the real ring. All right, enough said about that. Let's move on to uh, Sagada's Summons, four white white enchantment at rare. Creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them have base power and toughness four four, have flying and angels in addition to their other types. Uh, meme card in standard, right? I think so. You have to be already winning quite a bit to have your Luminarch Aspirant having plus one plus one counters on your whole board and then you play this and wah, they're angels you know that'll that'll yeah. get some people excited I'm trying to think they've they've tried to do the plus one plus one counter deck a lot it's never yeah. really got there all right let's keep moving along the next card that caught my eye CGB was gluttonous guest do you want to read this card Sure, I haven't actually read this card, so here we go. Gluttonous Guest is two and a black for a 1-4 vampire with some tasty, what I'm calling the fangbanger art. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the, it's the pretty frame, suggestive. The fangbang frame. That's that's what I'm going to call it <laughs> in honor of True Blood. And then, so it says, this is a vampire, a 1-4 for three. When Gluttonous Guest en enters the battlefield, create a blood token. Whenever you sacrifice a blood token, you gain one life. Now, the reason I highlighted this card is this is the next in the Merchant series, right? This is basically like Blood Token Merchant. Sure. Probably maybe not as good as either of those previous merchants, but I feel like every time we've written them off, they've ended up being playable. That's true. They're usually yeah. better than they look. The life gain is nice. It's hard to picture this being better than mana from the treasures yes. and the ability to draw cards. Uh, there's nothing on this that draws a card other than the blood token itself, which makes you discard first. So there's no inherent card advantage in the card. But you're right. It's worth noting. You know what else is worth noting? Mm. For toughness, but the art, we don't see that booty. No. They're hiding a four toughness booty on this on this somewhere. Well, it's after they drink all that blood, CGB. That's where it really comes out. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I'm just saying, like, this this, this vampire has got it going on because the art is already, like, pretty hot and there's a four toughness on this thing. Where it, It's leaving, yeah. you know, anyway. This is the person you're hoping to go home with after that boring-ass wedding. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, what else is standing out to you here, CGB? What, what else do you want to cover here? Well, a lot of the commons I haven't looked at yet. Let's see, mm -hmm. I found a rare. Want me to do a rare? Sure. So this is... Torrens Fist of the Angels. This is one and a green white for a 2-2 legendary human cleric. Has the training ability. And whenever you cast a creature spell, create a 1-1 green and white human soldier token with training. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. It's, I mean, Interesting. as far as three mana 2-2s go, that, they're usually pretty bad. Uh-huh. Not very exciting. But yep. whenever you cast a creature spell, you get 
a token and whenever and these things have training so whenever they attack with something of greater power they get bigger i don't know honestly i got kind of hung up on the name after all this kind of suggestive talk we've had on this podcast fist of the angels just doesn't sit quite right with me (laughs) (laughs) fist of the angels (laughs) i feel like this you know and and it makes sense with this vampire thing but i feel like this is some kind of like BDSM, like, you know, kink lifestyle sub-theme going on with this set? We can't really avoid it. Like, (laughs) Twilight took the sexy vampirism and made it pop culture, and now, like, you can't have vampires that aren't sexy. It's, I'm trying to find another way to say it, but it's not sexy to have vampires that are not sexy. Vampires have always been sexy, right? They have to be sexy, yeah. Dracula was like a literal, you know. I don't know. Nosferatu didn't exactly stir nobody's jellies, but but now it has to be like it. Yeah, if you're going to tell people you're having a vampire wedding, there's got to be a lot of low cut tops. There's got to be a lot of four toughness, and there's got to be fisting the angels. Yep, (laughs) in the fist (laughs) of the angels. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway, so I. I pretty substantially derailed Tar. This is my way of making Tarans unplayable. If you've noticed, I always I always pick someone to pick on in a set review, and I'm sorry, Tarans, you are getting it this time. The humans having training is kind of compelling, like, mm. and because especially even after Tarans dies, which Tarans probably will, those humans do get bigger when they attack with other creatures. So I, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's still like a two-two running into something i don't know i'm not excited now that i think about it i think it's not a good rate it's meh plus right i think it should have been a two i think it should have been two mana yeah or a three three at least you know yeah how bad would that really have been yeah actually this next card i think is quite compelling holy crap okay fell stinger two and a black creature zombie scorpion at uncommon by the way it is a three two death touch with exploit and when Felstinger exploits a creature, target player draws two cards and loses two life. I mean, feed a dog to this, you have to feel pretty good about that, right? Yeah. Oh, we talked about pests, shambling ghast, all the things that you can sacrifice, the uh, zombies with decay. But yep. yeah, target player draws two cards and loses two life. Yes, yep. I'll take two cards or you burn your opponent to death. Finish your opponent off. I mean, here's another thing. Like, let's say you're playing mono green, right? And your opponent slams one of these. You're not going to feel great about having to waste your stupid blizzard brawl on this thing just to like get your chariot through or get whatever else through, right? That's not going to feel good either. That's true. That's true. It's also... Remember, you can exploit yourself. So at worst, it's like a bad read the bones. We've seen a million ways to draw two cards and lose two life for three mana in black. But this one is on a creature, which means you can blink it. You can reanimate it. There's a lot of things that you can do when it's on a creature. The creature can crew vehicles. There's just a lot more versatility to that effect. And there's so many just ways to get more cards or to get more burns out of this. It's actually exciting. It's a zombie. A zombie scorpion? A giant zombie scorpion? What a hideous idea. Yeah, just taking out a horse. Great art. Just killing a horse, by the way. You gotta love it. (laughs) So, yeah, it it might have some zombie tribal implications in this set as well. This card probably has a home. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Like, I would want to try it in the Blood Money deck, which is very, very crowded, and this doesn't make treasures or really play with treasures, but, like, you can play this... 
and you can deadly dispute this thing too. Like there's a lot you can do. Yeah, I think that this card does look best in a format with like a lot of kind of like, yeah, chonky green creatures and stuff. Like that's mm. where you're gonna really get your money out of it. You know, I feel like is it decks or like, any gold span dragon deck's gonna be like, oh yeah, cute stinger, you're dead, right? But I feel like apart from that, like if brawling with reasonable sized creatures is any kind of a thing in the format, the stinger just seems like it's gonna go way over the top in terms of value. Yeah, cool card. Very cool. Very, card. very cool. And it's gonna be a freaking mythic uncommon and limited, I can tell you that. All right, CGB, I'll let you pick the next card here. We're gonna read Ange Made of Dishonor which is... I <laughs> love it, love it. Nice. Two and a red-black, so four total mana. Four, five, legendary vampire, rare. When it or another vampire enters the battlefield, create a blood token and sacrifice another creature or a blood token. Each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. That's a two mana open-ended activated ability. I thought this card had flying. It does Yeah, that would have been nice. How, how do you have a maid of dishonor without wings? Yeah. How do you have a legendary vampire without wings? It's kind I of don't bomb. know. I, maybe that's why this is the Maid of Dishonor lost lost her wings Ah, uh, there you go. Maybe in yep. a fight, some dishonoring way. But I thought the card was actually really cool, and I thought that the fifth toughness, it is relevant. Four damage is an important thing here with Dragon's Fire, Thundering Rebuke, Definitely. Demon Bolt, Heated Debate. But So it might be a little harder to kill than it looks. And making blood tokens is obviously something the vampires want. The part that I don't know if we're evaluating well, because we don't know just how much blood will be in this format, is how good is it to pitch your tokens to drain, to lose two, gain two. It might be pretty good. Could be a pretty nasty top deck in the late game, you know? And especially, like, a lot of this stuff's just making me think about Meat Hook Massacre. You know, I just feel like there's going to be games where you get your massacre down, you get some other drain going on, and like just the game's just over, right? So I don't know. I I mean, I'm totally with you. Like just on the face of it, this reads like kind of a dopey rare that's not going to get there to me, but it could definitely have a surprising amount of finish him in it. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't write it off. Nice. We can move on to the next one. That's okay. what I had for it. How about by invitation only? What a sweet card. Three white, white sorcery at rare. Choose a number between zero and 13. Each player sacrifices that many creatures. This is quite a versatile sweeper. So it hits indestructible. If you have more creatures than opponent, you can choose the number that they have and keep some amount of keep your own board. Your best creatures. Yep. That's a pretty unique effect on a on a sweeper. So that's pretty cool. What else was sacrifice? Somebody brought up Tergroid. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. <laughs> it's mine. It's all mine. <laughs> oh, back to the jank ladder. Let's go. Someday Tigrid's going to get that due in standard. <laughs> it lives in a sad spot in between Doomscar and Blood on the Snow. Yeah. So I don't true. know how much you're actually going to see it. Probably yeah. not that much. Yeah, it, it might not show up, but it is very sweet. And if there are like 
if there's a particular matchup in which it's really good and people start like botting in a couple of copies, it's going to be an absolute murderer, I think. Like, again, like imagine just, I don't know. I mean, I guess cards like um, A Seeker's Chariot make this worse, but I was still thinking about like in a mono green matchup, right? Where you have like a couple of chonkers out or something like that. And meanwhile, your white players just like pooping out a bunch of these crappy little tokens or whatever. Maybe they have the fists of the angels in play and they just like, sack out your entire board and then like swing in for lethal because remember like that's a thing you can do right if you have yes. a bunch of tokens you just kill all your opponent's blockers and swing in with your remaining good creatures and the game's just over yeah this with chariot is kind of sick right Ooh, because yeah, you is, have three yeah. bodies and it curves right into it so if your opponent has two creatures you can crew your chariot now you have three you can cast it by invitation only sacrifice your cats they sacrifice their two creatures you smash them with your chariot. Hey, think about this as well, CGB. Let's say that you're doing some kind of innkeeper Jaspira Sentinel thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just yeah. like generating a bunch of mana, you're crapping out a bunch of tokens, whatever. And then at a key point in the game, you just like sack all your innkeepers and your Jaspira Sentinels, kill all their blockers, and then you just like swing in with your chariot and maybe another one or two really good creatures. <laughs> your that's... Ren tree folk, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's got to be game over. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Could be a strong sideboard card. We will find out. All right. How about wedding announcement? Two and a white enchantment at rare. At the beginning of your end step, put an invitation counter on wedding announcement. If you attack with two or more creatures this turn, draw a card. Otherwise, create a 1-1 white human creature token. Then, if wedding announcement has three or more invitation counters on it, transform it. And on the backside, it is called wedding festivity. It is still an enchantment, and it says creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So, does this card generate enough value, CGB, to be considered for that most valuable spot on the curve in a white deck? Yeah, but probably not for every matchup. This might be a sideboard card if it sees play at all, and I think the reason for that is, like, it doesn't give you the creature buff until turn six, and it pays off in tiny amounts of value on the turns yeah. leading up to it. Little incremental value, which is really good if you're going to play a game for yeah. six turns. A lot of matchups mm -hmm. aren't like that. Yeah, I definitely see this card as giving you enough. And really the question is just, yeah, is there just anything else you'd rather be doing? I do kind of wonder, like, you probably don't want to put this in a deck with Paladin class, for example. That card's, you know, probably just competing for a slot, that kind of a thing. But this could line up in particular decks very well, you know? I mean, if like if you are making a lot of tokens and stuff like that, this could give you kind of the card advantage slash finishing power that you need. Especially if there's like some kind of spirits thing. I feel like this card must get pretty good if you have a bunch of little flyers henpecking in, right? Like you draw a bunch of cards and then eventually all your flyers get buffed and you finish the game. I don't know. Maybe that's nonsense theory crafting, but it could happen. No, it could, but it's not the format we have now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. How do you like this with Allrin's Epiphany? <laughs> How do you like every single card? How do you like lands with Allrin's Epiphany? I sure, yeah. Give it to me. I'll, I'll take it all. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's janky as hell, but like still makes me quiver in my boots for some reason. I, I've read some of these other cards. I'm going to skip over them because I don't think they're that great. But a card that I am interested in, CGB, why don't you read for us Dominating Vampire? One red red, three three. So it's a three mana rare three three. Creature Vampire. When Dominating Vampire enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of vampires you control until end of turn. Untap that creature, it gains haste. 
until end of turn. We can't get away from sexy vampires, can we? We got a dominating vampire here. <laughs> no, we got a dominatrix up in here. Oh, take control yep. and, of uh, me. She's definitely looking <laughs> ready to go here. This card reads like it could be surprisingly powerful to me. It can target itself or another creature you control yep. just for the haste. So like the floor is when you play it on three, if you have two other vampires, it can be a three, three haste. So we, we've seen Reckless Stormseeker, like that floor is pretty good. But we also learned from Claim the Firstborn that just snatching something really is good. pretty good yep. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This can hit tokens, regardless of how many vampires you control. Something worth noting, I believe that the way it works is this can enter the battlefield. Trigger can go on the stack. You can target your opponent's like one or two mana thing, but they can use removal in response and then the effect wow. fizzles. I'm not sold on this being a player, but I agree. Like the, the power of Claim the Firstborn really sobered me to the power of these effects. And, you know, getting that on a 3-3 body is uh, pretty sweet, I think. Do we have easy sack outlets? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Like we have Awaken the Blood Avatar, but that's pretty hard to cast after playing this double red and one. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm trying to think about like the free sack outlets. Do we have any? F we have exploit. We have exploit. Like exploit is probably something to try to pair it up with. I just don't know if we'll have cheap. It's exploit. true. You know, we lost like our woe striders and our ovens and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we lost the freebies. We still have Village Rites. Do we? Which set was that in? Yeah, we do. We have Village Rites, Deadly Dispute, and Plum the Forbidden. We have all That's three. That's right. And we even have the uh, we have the Merchant, if you have a little extra mana lying around. They might not go in the same deck, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think this card could be a total beating. So going to keep an eye on it. Absolutely. Sweet. How about Dorotea, Vengeful Victim? Why don't you read that for us? Gladly, I will read this card because it costs a blue Ooh. and a white. Perfect casting cost. And it is a rare, it is a 4-4 four, four legendary spirit with flying. Again, that's for two mana. All right. So when this card attacks or blocks, sacrifice it at the end of combat. Wah, 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 wah. But... Wait, there's more. It has Disturb, which coming back for a second round from Innistrad Midnight Hunt Disturb for one white and a blue says you can cast this from your graveyard. When you cast it from the graveyard, it's not a creature anymore. It's an enchantment aura and it enchants creature. An enchanted creature has, whenever this creature attacks, create a 4-4 four, four white spirit creature token with flying that's tapped and attacking, sacrifice it at the end of combat. If this card would be disturbed text, if if something would happen to this card after it was disturbed, exile it instead. All right. I mean, what a spicy card, right? I mean, you got a two mana flying 4-4, four, four, but you lose it after it engages with something. But if you have a creature to enchant, it comes back so that now every time you attack with that creature, you get a 4-4 four, four flyer. Yeah. Wow. You do sacrifice the token at the end of combat, the 4-4 four, four flying token from the aura. It's a callback to Geist of St. Traft, Invocation of yep. St. Traft, both cards that made 4-4 four, four flyers. Both cards had their moments. Absolutely. Maybe not Invocation nearly as much. Geist was busted. That card's amazing. Geist was incredible. Total control beta there. Okay. How do you like this against Goldspan Dragon? That's got to feel pretty good, right? So if you play it, if on turn two, you play a two mana 4-4 four, four, and it waits out there for a dragon to kill... I, I'm not sure if I love it because you're not really doing anything with your card in the meantime, and they can line up their dragon's fire and have a good target for it. Uh, Fading Hope is also pretty nasty to it. So I don't know 
how much I love that, but it's definitely not bad, right? The the stats are right for making the opponent's life difficult. I kind of love playing it and looking at your opponent's like werewolf pack later, like, yeah, uh-huh, what you gonna well, do? I mean, that's what I'm there. saying. It's just like your opponent's not going to feel great about having to either trade with this or use like a premium removal spell on it, right? And it does have a stat line that conveniently tangles with both the chariot and all of the dragons that we're worried about in the format. So I think right there, that's enough to at least make it kind of a consideration. And then this is what I like. Now, maybe this is just magical Christmas land, but it'll come up. What's uh, the 3-2 uh, the dude that gets Coven? Sun Gold Sentinel. Sun Gold Sentinel. So if you're slapping a guy, an invitation of Saint Traft on Sun Gold Sentinel and you have your coven, that's a game ending combo, right? They could go in the same deck. I mean, it could happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's enough, but like that's a it's a start, I think. I do think you want this card to be aggressive. Mm. Like you want to be able to play like cuz the tempo shift is pretty awesome. Mm. If you play this and your opponent like their turn three, they can't attack mm-hmm. into it because they don't want to make those trades. But your next turn, you chonk them and play another big creature. And the next turn, you're threatening mm-hmm. to bring the aura back from the graveyard and hit them with more big creatures. It seems like this could be a real race shifter. Mm-hmm. It's a weird card, but I think it might be good. It, it could also be a yeah. zero, quite yeah. honestly. It could never show up, right? I think it could come in out of the sideboard and be a surprising pain in the butt for some decks. And uh, I don't know. It's just kind of sweet, honestly. Yeah, it is it's pretty cool. darn sweet. I, I, I'm, I have to play yeah. with it. Like, this is one that's tough to evaluate. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's see. We're almost done here. I just want to read a couple more cards. Geistlight Snare. Two and a blue. Instant at uncommon. This spell casts one less to cast if you control a spirit. It also costs one less to cast if you control an enchantment. Counter target spell unless its controller pays three. So this could easily be like a mana leak, and it could easily be a one blue mana leak. And at that point, it's nasty. I don't know about easily. You gotta <laughs> okay. have an enchantment, and you have to have a spirit. I don't know. I don't know how much we're all over that, but I guess the vengeful victim that we just read is both. Yeah, that's it. Like if you have an enchantment creature, or I, I don't know, it could come up. It could come up. Yeah, I I, I think it might come up. I'm I'm pretty. Sc- skeptical until i see a lot more really good spirits that i want to jam but i mean it's kind of cool that we could have a mana leak type card in the Mm -hmm. set because it was a feature of the original innistrad standard environment that helped decks like delver blue white delver get there and right now blue white tempo has as we've discussed it 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 doesn't have anything like a mana leak and the format kind of needs it a little bit Not a lot, but a little bit. It's kind of interesting because this card reads overall as worse to me than the bird counter that we had. What was that one called? The bird counter. (laughs) What? The 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 counter spell that that got better when you had a flying creature. No, it's not Lookouts Dispersal. Yeah. That was a pirate. For the life of me. Uh, Was it something wings? It got better with a flying creature. Was it something wings? Like... Lofty Denial. Lofty Denial. Good memory there. I thought Lofty Denial was a really good counter spell and it didn't really show up, end up showing up in standard. There were, you know, a couple of decks that weren't really tier decks that loved to run it, but didn't end up being like a super big player in the format. So this is the card that that reminds me of the most. But I mean, if we do have, if we do end up at some point having a spirits deck, like this almost certainly goes in it, right? Yes. If yeah. we have a spirits deck, we, we we need like 16 to 20 spirits. We're like 
oh yeah, baby, we're playing these. These could win a game of magic. Right now we've yep. got, don't don't talk to me about Clarion Spirit, man. Don't do it. <laughs> right now we've really just got the Spectral Adversary, and that's still like the last card into a lot of these decks. Well, Dorotea, Vengeful Victim, who knows? You yeah, know, maybe we'll we're kind of getting there. Anyway, we'll see. cool card to know about. Finally, CGB, why don't you read for us Volatile Arsonist? I haven't read this one yet. All right. This is three and a red red for a 4-4. It's a mythic. So five mana 4-4 at mythic. Human Werewolf has Menace and Haste. Dang, that's a pair of words you don't see every day. Whenever this attacks, it deals one damage to each of up to one creature, up to one player, and up to one Planeswalker. And or up to one Planeswalker. So it can it can go ping, ping, ping. Yep. Okay. So it like yep. can cast a free arc lightning when it attacks? Basically. Yeah. Guess what? That's just one side of it. It's day bound. We get the other side for the night bound. So what do we get after midnight? Oh my god. Look at this art. <laughs> oh dude, it's a werewolf like with a torch, but holding yeah. it like a baseball bat. Like, let's yeah. go. It's gonna club you. <laughs> Holy Oh, I'm scared. I like it. It's a five-five. Has menace and haste still. And whenever it attacks, same text, but up to two damage two. to each of those things. I mean, if this thing comes down on the night side, it is terrifying. <sighs> Holy crap. <laughs> That's so much stuff. Yeah. You could. All right. Magical Christmas land. If they have a planeswalker mm-hmm. and their own face and a creature. Yeah. Like you're doing two, two, two. That's six damage. And you're attacking for five. Yeah. Pretty brutal. And you have menace. Yeah. It has menace. So like, that's brutal, dude. <laughs> dude, were they, did, did, were they afraid that Loth and the spiders were too good? Because Loth just yeah. died. Loth yeah. is well, gone. Maybe that, maybe this was to get around, uh, Ren and Seven, right? Like it attacks around the token, finishes off the Ren, smashes face, that kind of oh, thing. Oh, God, it really does. Uh, it yeah. doesn't get rid of the token, but it does kill the No, Ren. it doesn't get yeah. rid of the token, but it definitely tangles with the token. Oh, yeah, know? let's go. I don't know. I mean, the real question is whether this card is better in some spots than Goldspan Dragon, because that's obviously what we're comparing it to. But I mean, if uh, your main. Uh, aspiration is just absolutely freaking killing your opponent yeah i mean this thing's nasty did wolves need it because i'm thinking about it like sometimes you ran gold span in wolves and you ran yeah. Ren in wolves but you really mm-hmm. just wanted to get them dead because wolves can't play that long mm-hmm. so maybe werewolves needs this yeah, what, what werewolves needs is Nightpack Ambusher. It needs like a, a good four mana play with Flash to so that it can go to yeah, night. So you can turn on yeah. the night. Yep. And it doesn't really have that. But this would be a good sequel to Nightpack Ambusher if that you know if something like that is in this set. Yeah. I mean, boy, this one's really hard to evaluate, but it I mean, it just does so much damage. Okay, in in a Ren metagame, this is better than Goldspan Dragon. But I agree. In current metagame, like, what are you doing? Huh, you might kill a bird. Yeah, you might. <laughs> I guess kill it a gets bird. through. You kill one bird and then you hit because of the menace. Yep, it's so hard to block. It's not a perfect answer to Alrin's Epiphany, but it certainly gets the job done. And I mean, yeah, it's good against chump blockers in general. I mean, like, when are you ever blocking this thing? 
right? Like, it has to be a pretty bored story moment. Otherwise, it's just not happening, I think. Even then, like, you can distribute some damage, trade it up, probably trades yeah. with at least two things while do- doing damage on the way. Like, it's yeah, pretty gross card. It's nasty. And this this is going to be a groaner and limited. Your opponent's going to slam this on the night side, and the game's going to be over. Of so. course. <laughs> you know how they have mythic uncommons? This is a mythic mythic. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, not looking forward to having that happen to me. Another thing I want to say is that, like, doesn't that wolf just look like it's straight off of a t-shirt somewhere? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it does I, I swear the artist just literally like went on etsy or somewhere and just like cropped out this wolf and stuck it on the card <laughs> pretty pretty solid pretty solid art for some reason very evocative art just like gets you just grabs you it is really is really cool art yeah this is the one that i have the biggest question mark over uh it, this again could just end up seeing no play whatsoever but i wouldn't be surprised if this card ended up being kind of a smasher Agreed. And someday, we don't want to talk about it yet, but some people will. There will be a format without Goldspan Dragon, but with Crimson Vow. There you go. So, waiting in the wings. Well, any last thoughts, CGB, before we take it out for the episode? Cards look good. We're back in spoiler talk season. We just, we're going to have the release of the set on Arena on the 11th of November. So, we've got a quick, brisk one more week of spoiler season. And next week, we can do our preview show. And then a week later, we'll have the cards. It's just boom. Yeah. There you go. I'm pleased just because the power level seems to be there. Seen a number of fairly powerful cards I'm pretty sure are going to show up already. It does still remain to be seen whether Vampires is going to be a playable deck. I'm not quite feeling it yet, so I feel like they're going to have to reveal even more Vampires, unless I'm really missing something to make that a thing. Yeah, but, you're right. But final thing to note, just you know, them having that completion of the land cycle is so key and that alone makes this a set worth getting into those leisure lands are just they're going to be players and standard for the rest of the format so get them while they're hot and uh yeah cgb i'm looking forward to the next iteration of the spoilers yeah i'm sure we'll have more sweet cards next week to talk about also it's a good thing you're already married Kovaco blue because uh yeah <laughs> you're gonna gonna stave off an awful lot of interest that otherwise would have been coming your way why because the glasses are hot what, what, <laughs> what, 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 am, I missing? what a, am i missing you're a commodity my friend mm. i'm just mm. i'm just saying you know if, if you're an eligible bachelor right now like it would be all all eyes on you for the crimson vow <laughs> i i see you, i get some foil wedding rings in the mail oh easily, easily. <laughs> sure Okay. <laughs> so uh, anyway, anyway, uh, your your sanctity is safe in that regard. Look at look at that nice little wedding ring popped on that left hand there. Gotta love it. All right, let's take this one out. Thanks so much, y'all, for another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast. We love having you here. You can listen to us on Spotify or anywhere that you can download podcasts your podcatcher of choice you can also watch this on covert go blues youtube channel there are always fun visual hijinks going on so i highly recommend you check that out you can also catch us streaming he's at twitch.tv forward slash covert go blue i'm at twitch.tv forward slash arena craft podcast and uh we also have a patreon that we greatly appreciate people support us 
with. Just a cool way to keep our editors in business and uh, just keeps us motivated to make the show. So thanks very much. And uh, in the meantime, CGB, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be checking the mail for my wedding invitation. I would be checking it for the foil wedding rings of the thirsty crafties out there listening to this. (laughs) I mean, there is one of us unmarried, so... Make it a foil. If he gets a non-foil wedding ring, I'm he's not gonna say yes. He's gonna judge you. Canceled. Canceled. (laughs) All right, buddy. Catch you next week. Later. (laughs) 